Hello and welcome to this Multipure podcast. Today we're going to be talking about reading your water quality report. My name is Kenton Jones. I'm Vice President of Marketing here at Multipure. And joining us for her very first podcast with Multipure is Amanda May. Amanda works mostly with Rain Shower, but is also our Multipure social media maven. So hi, Amanda. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. One of the reasons that we invited you on this podcast is that you've been doing some social media posts on the water quality report, the consumer confidence report. And, and so for those of you who've been following Multipure on social media, you've probably seen over the past, what, six months or so, a huge uptick in our social media activity. And I would say that is 100% attributable to Amanda's contributions. So we really appreciate what Amanda's doing on Instagram and on Facebook for us. So thanks for doing that. Thank you. And uh, recently you've actually posted on Water Quality Report. You want to tell us a little bit about the uh, the post that you put up? Yeah, I basically was letting the public know that the Consumer Confidence Report comes out annually and is due July 1st. So just letting them know to look out for that and how to read it because it may look daunting when you flip through those couple of pages. There's a lot of information there. But most of it is self-explanatory and um, not too hard to take in once you once you give it a go. Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest challenges when people see this is it looks kind of it looks kind of daunting. There's a lot of text there to read and I know people with short attention spans like <laughs> myself. Uh, <laughs> can't possibly think of, of consuming this whole this whole document all at, all at once, but it is definitely worth reading and, and definitely worth putting a little bit of time into. Absolutely. So what we're going to do today is kind of dive into this a little bit. So Amanda gave us kind of an introduction to the Consumer Confidence Report. And, you know, I guess before we get too far into this, we should say that Throughout today's conversation, we're probably going to use these terms interchangeably, consumer confidence report and water quality report. Yes, they are the same thing. They are the same thing. The consumer confidence report is kind of the official name mm -hmm. of it, but the water quality report is just kind of the casual name that we give it because yes. I think that that makes more sense to people than consumer totally. confidence. Totally, yeah. And the acronym CCR for people who live here in Las Vegas or in places with, what do you call it, with uh, with HOAs, yeah. they have CCRs and it doesn't have a very good con connotation. That so, makes sense. Yeah, so mm -hmm. maybe we'll stick with water quality report. Okay, so it came out in the middle of the summer as it does every year. It comes in the mail, but it's also available online, right? Yes. So you can go online and you can download a PDF or you can just read it online as well. Again. It, it does appear a little bit daunting, but the language that they use, and I have read dozens, probably a hundred of these from different communities across the country, they are always, always, always written in such a way that it's, it's meant for regular people to read it. You don't have to be a chemist or a water yeah. expert. Yeah, I, I definitely realized that once I got through the first two pages, I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. Right, mm -hmm. right. And I think getting over that hurdle is probably one of the first things that we want to do. We want to encourage people to, you know, Yep. Don't be intimidated by this, <laughs> Exactly. Right? Yeah, All right. that's why we're here. So most consumer confidence reports that uh, that I've read cover a handful of, of topics, and it, it's pretty consistent wherever you go. But the first thing that they cover is the source water. Where does our drinking water come from? Yeah. It doesn't just magically appear. <laughs> they, they talk about how water, sometimes they talk about how water is distributed then to our homes. And they talk about the different treatment uh, methods that are used in making our water safe and, and drinkable. And part of that, I guess, would also be the testing aspect, the mm -hmm. testing and verification that, um, you know, that everything's going as it should. And then they post the results, which I think is probably the, the core 
of the consumer confidence report, right? Yes, it definitely is. That chart that you see in the middle, that's definitely the core. And before you get there, it does talk about understanding the test results. So it kind of eases you into it. Okay, so it makes it, you, you've got this chart with a bunch of chemical names mm -hmm. uh, that are largely unpronounceable, but it, it kind of gives you a guide on what those things are and, and you know, what the various, I guess, results mean. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And then a lot of these consumer confidence reports also put in some additional information. Oftentimes, you know, obviously we're in Las Vegas, so water conservation is a really big deal here in the Southwest. And so the consumer confidence report that we get from the Las Vegas Valley Water District does talk considerably about water conservation. That's right. And giving us some, some topics here. So so Amanda, let's kind of go back to the beginning and, and talk about, so you've recently read the Las Vegas Valley Water District's Consumer Confidence Report. What did you find out about our source water? I found out that 90% of our source water comes from the Colorado River or Lake Mead. So the rest of it, the last 10% would be groundwater. Groundwater is buried underground. It's very self-explanatory. It makes up generally 1% of our total usable water, but here in uh, Las Vegas, it makes up 10%. And, you know, this is going to be different depending on where you live. Yes. Uh, our, so our, the ratio here is 90% is ground or 90% surface water, 10% groundwater. But if you live in a place where surface water is abundant, mm -hmm. maybe the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. a lot of your water is going to, um, almost all of your water is going to come from the surface. Places in the Midwest, however, a lot of their water is going to be groundwater. You know, something that, uh, you know, that comes from wells. So it's going to be different everywhere, which is... I think uh, important for us to, to learn about where, where the water comes from. Another term that's thrown into a lot of these reports that I've seen is, is watershed. So what's, what's your understanding of, of watershed? Uh, so we all live in a watershed. The, a watershed is the land area that drains to a single body of water. So here it's the lake, elsewhere it may be a wetland, streams, aquifers, those are all considered watersheds. Um, so we know right off the bat that Lake Mead is a watershed. Right. Lake Mead and, and actually the upper Colorado River Basin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's an enormous watershed that we that we have here. <laughs> mm -hmm. We were just recording another podcast where we were talking we were talking about municipal water and we were talking somehow. Oh, I, th I think Joel brought up that we were talking about bagels in New York and, <laughs> and you know, the importance of water and the bagels in New York and and New York has a really uh, a unique watershed where it's super protected. Like it's, it's. I mean, the boundaries of this watershed, which are kind of in upstate New York, super protected. And so, watersheds are important everywhere. We try to protect them because we don't want contaminants getting into our source water. And, and I think the more contaminants that get into the source water in the watershed means that the city or the municipality has a bigger job to do. Exactly. Right? Yes. So that brings us kind of to the next topic here, which is treatment. You know, once once you get your water, it's it, it needs to be made safe to to drink, to consume. So anything stand out to you about water treatment here in Las Vegas, uh, about the, some of the things that they're doing to make our water safe? One thing that stood out to me was finding out that the Las Vegas Valley groundwater is naturally filtered, so they only actually treat it with chlorine. Um, so that's something that I wanted to ask you about. Is this just in the Las Vegas Valley that you know of, or is all groundwater naturally filtered? Can we go into that? Yeah, we can. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Just like water 
anywhere in the world, it's, it's always going to be different. And mm -hmm. so the wells here in Las Vegas, my understanding is that they're pretty deep. You know, we live in a desert. Las Vegas happens to be in a valley. It's kind of like a big bowl here. Mm -hmm. And so the water that trickles down into our groundwater has to go through a lot to get down there. And uh, so, yeah, it's relatively safe when it's, when it's pumped up. Now, if you're living somewhere else, Again, kind of maybe in, in places with a lot of agriculture where you have a lot of maybe chemicals or pesticides or herbicides that yeah. might trickle down. The, the earth is not necessarily going to filter some of that stuff out. Or even worse, maybe the geology in that specific area has contaminants mm -hmm. in, the, in the water. So like uh, certain places in California, like the, the Central Valley of California, there's a lot of uranium in the oh in the in the just the yeah. natural geology yeah. and so and so uranium actually ends up being in in a lot of their water yeah, supplies that's so. why the term naturally filtered kind of raised a bit of a red flag for me because i understand that rainfall and snow melt will filter you know other things that might be found like contaminants that are natural and contaminants or pollutants that aren't natural into the water so i just thought that was a bit alarming yeah, yeah. So it just it just depends on where you are. The geology, um, you know, uranium, uh, arsenic is something that we see naturally yeah. occurring just because yeah. of the geology. So, but they they already know this. The city water providers do a pretty good job of of understanding what is in their source water, and so they take steps to remediate it if it's necessary. But here we're we're lucky in our in our groundwater as little as we have. It is a desert after all, but it is it is pretty clean, pretty pure here. That's great. And yeah, those steps are um, are provided by the Safe Drinking Water Act. These standards were established in the early 70s, I believe it was 1974. So the water distribution system has to accommodate and uh, meet those requirements, if not surpass those requirements. So what you're talking about now are the contaminants that might be found in, in the source water mm -hmm. uh, from the watershed, where, wherever it might be. And so all cities, all public water utilities in the United States are held to the same standards set by the Environmental Protection Agency, again, dating back to, what, the 70s? Mm -hmm. and, so, and so they all have to meet these standards, and I don't know, how many contaminants are they, are they looking for? There's, over, uh, there's a list of over 90 contaminants. Okay, mm -hmm. so over 90 different contaminants that your city has to be testing for just to verify that this stuff isn't making it into right. your tap water. Right, and mind you, that list are the regulated contaminants. Um, the studies that they that they take yearly also include non-regulated contaminants. So if they know there are some non-regulated contaminants that might um, cause illness or be raise a concern, a health concern, then they're also going to um, check in on those as well. Now, to be perfectly fair here, although the EPA is, is testing for 90-some contaminants, mm -hmm. plus maybe some unregulated contaminants, the truth of the matter is, is that there are literally tens of thousands of different yeah. chemicals that are being used uh, that have been detected in our water. But at some point, you have to kind of look at the economics of this. I mean, it would be impossible to test for tens of Everything thousands. Everything under the sun. Yeah. Right, right. And so I think that there has to be some kind of compromise there where you say, okay, well, you know, either these are more prevalent or these are more dangerous, or maybe some of these chemicals are kind of representative mm -hmm. of some of the other stuff that might be in the water. So if this is here, well, then there's a good chance that this other right. stuff is here. Or if yeah. this isn't here, well, there's a good chance that this other stuff is. It's not a perfect system. Yeah. 
But again, it's it's a balancing act, right? It is, and that's why they're constantly running data to try and balance it all out. And, and there's constantly updates to these lists. In fact, mm-hmm. in, our, in our latest newsletter, we were talking, or I should say our CEO and co-founder, Alvin Rice, was talking about the newest list of contaminants that are, con- that are candidates to be on the, uh, the, the regulated list. That's right. So the EPA is required to periodically publish this list. They decide to regulate at least five or more new contaminants periodically for that same reason, yes. That's good. That's good to know that I guess it's not a it's not a static list. It's not. No. Yeah, and it's what helps them prioritize that research that they're conducting because right. that's a lot of data to cover. So having that contaminant candidate list is definitely um, definitely important. Prioritizing what contaminants are are more important. And I could be wrong here, but I think that it's also an opportunity for the EPA to kind of respond to the public. Like yeah. if, if something comes out, and obviously top of mind would be something like uh, the perfluorinated chemicals, PFOAs, PFAS, mm-hmm. that suddenly the, the public is acutely aware of these contaminants in our environment, these forever chemicals, right? Yes. Uh, and I think that this gives the EPA an opportunity to kind of respond to that, oh, well, you know, we've now detected that these things are in the environment and mm-hmm. they're staying in the environment. Maybe we right. should start testing for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think they also, that's also how they determine whether or not to submit a health advisory. If they're not able to regulate it right away, if it's something of concern, then they'll go ahead and submit a health advisory. So, so the that, health advisory, that's like a stepping stone? Is that like a... It, it offers guidance for federal, state, and local officials to relay that information to the public. Okay. All right. So I guess this is a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about the testing process. Actually, maybe, no, you know, maybe we should go back to the treatment process first okay. since we're kind of going in order here. Yeah. Um, so, again, as an example here in Las Vegas, most of our water comes from Lake Mead. A little bit comes from wells, but nine-tenths of our water comes from Lake Mead. So it needs to be treated. You know, there's, it's traveled over a very long distance through agricultural lands, through livestock, uh, and a lot of people, recreation, mm-hmm. you know, swimming and boating in our, in our drinking water. So <laughs> you, you got to treat it somehow, right? Yeah, and, so it's in, and it's held in this giant reservoir, the, you know, the largest reservoir in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so it's subject to environmental toxins, whether it's carried by the air or, right. or whatever. So we need to treat the water here a little bit. So what does the Consumer Confidence Report tell us about the treatment of, of our water here? So here it tells us that um, our water undergoes a three-step treatment so starting with ozonation that's the primary water treatment it's also um, referred to as ozonization let me know if i'm saying that right ozonation yeah. okay so that's a chemical water treatment it's based on the infusion of ozone into water um, for those who don't know ozone is a gas that's made up of three oxygen atoms so it appears as o3 um, and it's one of the most powerful oxidants and disinfectants. So it has the ability to kill bacteria, virus, and disease-causing microorganisms. Yeah, so ozonation is something that's used around the world, actually. It's really popular in Europe, but because it's a really powerful oxidizing agent, really powerful disinfectant, one of the downfalls of, of ozone is it doesn't stick around very long. Oh. So you zap the water, and I think, uh, and I don't know the exact process of manufacturing ozone, but electricity has something to do with it. But anyway, you, you, you blast the water with ozone, 
and it does a great job of, of disinfecting right away, but then it, it dissipates pretty quickly. Okay, after that. that makes sense as to why there's more than one step in this yeah. process, yeah. Um, because following the ozonation is a multi-stage filtration system, which simply removes the particles from the water. And then the third step, which is very crucial here, is chlorination. So this destroys virus and microorganisms just like ozonation does during the treatment, but it maintains that disinfection throughout the system. Yeah, good point. So, and I think that this is what this is all kind of telling us is the primary purpose of the water district is to provide us water that is microbiologically safe. I mean, they're right. zapping it with ozone. Then they do some some filtration, and it's usually some kind of uh, aeration or oxidation. Then there's a flocculation where you add something called alum to the water, and that causes particulates to kind of clump together into these clumps they call flock and that kind of gravity pulls that stuff down to the bottom and then the the clean water then moves on to the next process which is usually some kind of filtration i don't know if they use carbon here but in a lot of cities they use carbon or other kind of filtration methods and then finally into chlorination which is that final disinfectant before they put it in the pipes and send it to our homes Right. Yes, and then uh, there's also some con- corrosion control efforts in there as well, uh, which just helps to maintain the water quality through its distribution through the pipelines, which are all lead-free. So. so interesting point about this and how important this is, the corrosion control. This is what happened in Flint, Michigan. This is why we had the giant lead problem in Flint. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that we're talking about here came into play. The source water was changed from one river to another river. I think it was from the Detroit River to the Flint River, uh, whatever. But it was, it, so the source water was, was changed, but the chemistry of those two different water supplies were very different. And so when they switched to the, the new supply, they didn't take the proper steps specifically for corrosion control. And the new water started eating away the pipes. First of all, that protective coating, which is usually provided by, you know, some kind of a a polyphosphate or something like that, or it could even be some kind of biofilm. That was all stripped away, and then suddenly you had a bunch of old pipes, oftentimes lead or lead connections, and that's what caused you know lead to, to start seeping into the water in Flint. And wow. so this corrosion control, you know, I think people kind of balk at the idea, well, they're adding you know some kind of a polyphosphate to the water, and they go, oh, they're adding this phosphate to the water? To, you know, is that safe? Yes, it's and it's necessary to you know to make the water uh, specifically the distribution system a little bit safer that's good to know yeah so they do it here in las vegas they probably do it in your city too wherever you're listening to okay so talked a little bit about treatment distribution you know distribution here in las vegas is is kind of interesting again because we live in a big valley we live in a big bowl and so pretty much everybody in las vegas lives above and i I mean literally above in terms of elevation our water supply and so water has to be pumped uphill to Mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere in las vegas in fact we've got these storage tanks that are kind of dotting the landscape around the valley. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but these, these storage tanks, they're used to store water and you'll always notice that they're at an elevated position. If you drive through the Midwest or someplace, you see those elevated water towers, right? Uh-huh. Same concept. And so what it is, is that during peak times, think of like the mornings where people are getting up, brushing their teeth, going to the bathroom, taking yeah. showers, making breakfast. The, you know, the demand for, for 
fresh water is much higher. And mm -hmm. so these tanks help kind of supplement that water supply as it's coming to our, to our homes. You know, plus also, you know, in most cities, Las Vegas for sure, our fire control, you know, all the fire hydrants run on the same water supply as right. our drinking water. Yeah. And so you definitely want to maintain pressure. And so mm -hmm. those tanks also add, help add pressure if there's, you know, a big fire someplace, you know, keep the system pressurized. And so that's all part of the distribution system. But I'm not sure if that's in the CCR. I don't think that <laughs> I think, is. I, no. I think I'm kind of going a little bit deeper on that than we should. That's great. I learned more than I expected to learn. More than you probably <laughs> needed to know. Okay, so we do treatment, distribution. Also, throughout the system is where the testing actually happens. Mm -hmm. Did you, what did you find yeah. out about that? So, most of the testing, I might have to look at my notes. Let's see. Most of the testing is done at the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Okay. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So they have two advanced water treatment facilities uh, where they do that ozonation, filtration, and chlorination. So they, they do the analysis of those samples. Uh, I believe that that's the SNWA. And, and it's going to be different in your city, obviously. Uh, but they're, they're drawing samples throughout the city. So they're not just drawing samples right there at the treatment plant. They're actually going out to places throughout Las Vegas, throughout the valley, uh, and this is true in your city too, where they you know, will draw samples, draw hundreds of samples, thousands of samples throughout the year, you know, just to verify that things like chlorine, and, and I'm sure that they do, and you know, gosh, I would love to get somebody from the Water District on this podcast where we could talk oh, about yeah, this. Yeah, that would be great. But they, you know, they're testing for chlorine, I'm certain. They're testing, I'm sure, for bacteria, doing some kind of, uh, you know, like a, a coliform bacteria test. And they're, they're probably also testing for other things that might be introduced in the system, maybe lead or um, something like that. Yeah. So don't, don't they talk about the number of tests that they do? They're, they do. I can't find the, the number right off the bat, but it's, it's massive. Yeah, it's an astounding um, but number. But one way to find out the complete analysis uh, is to contact your water quality uh, division. So for us, that would be the LVVWD. That's our local water district. They can provide you with a complete uh, summary showing all of those test results. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff, uh, you can just Google mm -hmm. wherever, whoever you write the check to, yeah. or whoever you send your electronic payment to, I should say, for your for your water. You just Google that, and you'll get you'll get this information here. So what I'm looking at right now in Las Vegas, again, we've got I don't know, I think about 2 million people living here, 300,000 analysis every year. Uh, 54,000 samples are drawn um, from 367 different stations. So it's not just one place, it's not just one sample. Mm -hmm. It's literally tens of thousands of samples right. from hundreds of different sites. And the test results that you get, obviously it's not everything. Um, I just wanted to ask you, since you're the expert, this is, all these numbers, this is just the average based on this yearly testing, correct? Like these are not exact numbers. This so yeah, average. so when you're, when you're drawing hundreds of thousands of sample or hundreds of thousands of analysis on tens of thousands of samples yeah it's you, you aggregate all of that data and mm -hmm. and you kind of get your you know I was terrible at statistics but your your average or your median or your mean whatever it is <laughs> uh, but yeah this is this is an aggregated number that we're seeing and so what they'll do is they'll talk about well what are the what are the results in the wells what are the results at the treatment facility and 
most importantly, at least to me, what are the results uh, in the distribution system? Because mm-hmm. that's that's what's coming into our homes, right? right? That's what we're receiving directly. Right. So this, in this case, it shows the average, but it also shows uh, the maximum values that they saw. You know, sometimes there's a spike, yeah. or sometimes you know, there, you know, something went wrong, or or I don't know. Yeah. And so and so they do show that as well. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure how specific the EPA requirements are for this in terms of reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's probably a good good question to ask somebody uh, at the district is. What specifically does the EPA, I mean, are, are you required to say what the maximum value was? I don't know. Maybe right. it is. Uh, but in most of the reports that I've read, it is. Okay. It is there. I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so too. So kind of running down this list of, of things, and this is only about a dozen different contaminants that I'm seeing here on mm-hmm. our table. Again, they're testing for 90-some most of the time, it's ND, it's non-detect, and so I don't think that they actually have to report it or have to publish it. That would make it. sense, yeah. Or else, you know, we'd get, you know, we're going to save some paper, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're not only showing um, contaminants that are naturally found in the water, but they're also showing results for things that they've added to the water, like fluoride. Yep. Uh, here's free chlorine residual. Uh, and so that's the you know that the, the chlorine that's added to the water. So it looks like it's what about uh, an average of uh, of just under one part per million mm-hmm. for chlorine. And then things and and this is interesting. And this is going to get into a topic that I also want to talk about. This next contaminant under chlorine, it's called haloacetic acids. Those are generally disinfection byproducts. Oh. And so. When you disinfect the water with chlorine or chloramine in some cases, but chlorine specifically, chlorine is such a good disinfectant because it's really powerful oxidant, right? Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's really good at disinfecting our water, but when you add chlorine to the water, it also reacts with other things that might be in the water, things like organics, and those <laughs> that reaction causes these byproducts that in many cases are known to be carcinogenic, no, known to be cancer-causing. Mm-hmm. These are disinfection byproducts, things like haloacetic acids and total trihalomethanes. So they report these, which I find really interesting. You know, people say, well, you know, you can't trust the results that are coming from the way, you know, people in all kinds of parts of the sure. spectrum where they say <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can't trust anything and people say absolutely trust it all. To me, this is very telling that the water district is, is telling us, hey, there are actually disinfection byproducts mm-hmm. in the water that are as a result of, of adding chlorine to the water. And you should just know these numbers. Pretty much everywhere I go and I, and I read these reports for a lot of different cities, they're always reporting on these disinfection byproducts. And so the maximum that we saw here in Las Vegas, 71, which is really close to the limit of 80. I think the limit's 80, wow. right? Wow. Yeah, the limit's high. 80. Yeah. So it's pretty close to the limit. And the average is 66 for trihalomethane. So wow. it's pretty high. Yeah. And uh, I do understand those people who don't want to uh, trust in certain data that we might be given. Uh, it's definitely important to question all things. Sure. But if it is right here in front of us, they're, they're not hiding that information. I trust that it's for a reason so that we can make our own decisions as to how we're going to drink water. Are yeah. we going to put a filter in our home so that we don't have to consume those things? We have that option because we have this information in front of us. Nice little segue there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and the bottom line is this is all we got. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. this is... This <laughs> we got to use the tools that we have. Right. Yeah. This is the dance with the part in your right? Mm -hmm. uh, this, is the, this is the best information that we have. And so, you know, we operate on this. But as you so slyly put in there, <laughs> very good, you have the option to put a right. filter on your water mm -hmm. to maybe add a little bit of extra protection, specifically yeah. for something like disinfection byproducts right. uh, that might be in our water. It's kind of like uh, the solar system. We know only so much about it, but we do know the basics on how to keep our earth clean. We yeah. just got to follow those. Use the information that yeah. we have, right? <laughs> yeah. So the testing and the results here um, in Las Vegas, and you're going to find a, a table uh, wherever you're living, listening to this podcast, that will have very similar things. Arsenic, barium, bromate, chromium, copper, uh, fluoride, chlorine, haloacetic acids, lead, nitrate. A, a lot of these things are very common that you're going to see in reports across the country. Yours is obviously going to be a little bit different than ours, the one that we're looking at here for Las Vegas. But I encourage you to take a look at this and, and just a moment's worth of scrutiny of, of looking at, you know, what are the maximum contaminant levels set by the EPA? What are the goals? You know, that, that's kind of an interesting, there's, there's a little nuance there between maximum contaminant level and maximum contaminant level goal. And that, like comes, that. and that comes down to, at least in my mind, economics. This is what the, this is what the acceptable level is right now. Mm -hmm. But gosh, we'd really like for it to be there. Yeah, uh, I like that it has a goal included into that. Um, and, it, and it even has like a key term table of contents yeah. so that if you don't understand what that means, it will spell it out that the level of uh, contaminant in drinking water below, which there is no known or expected risk to health, that's what we want. We want right. there to be less of those contaminants that might be of, of a right. risk. And again, if you're concerned about some of these things being in your water, using a home water filtration system is a great little add-on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the tap water comes to your house. Again, it's a spectrum, depending on how you know, safe you think it is, but adding a, a filtration system like a multi-peer system on there is going to add that that insurance, it's going to add that extra layer of protection, that final barrier, however you want to say it. Yeah. These contaminants that we know are in the water. I'm tapping. <laughs> you hear that tapping on the tape. That's me uh, tapping our water report that you know are in the water. I mean, the city is telling us these things are in the water. It's up to you to make a decision on Am I okay with that or am I not okay with that? Yep. Like anything else, we just have to use our best judgment. Right. Okay. So, um, boy, this is, this is moving along very quickly here. <laughs> um, so we've talked about where our water comes from, what we're doing to it, how we're testing it, how we're providing those results. Why, why, is, this, why is this important to you, Amanda? It's important to me because growing up, for me personally, growing up, I never liked water. That was what I would say. Uh, I just didn't like the taste of it. I thought it was gross, and I never knew why. I never questioned that at a young age. But growing older and learning things like I am now um, about water quality, it it just put everything into perspective for me that you know water is life and there was a reason that I didn't like it and it's probably because I was detecting the taste of these contaminants that are found in the local tap water so I think it's very important to know why you either like or dislike water and to know why um, how your life might be affected by this water so yeah I think that's definitely important to to just know as much as you can about whatever you're consuming 
Yeah, and uh, it's, I think, a revelation for a lot of people that, hey, this is actually law, <laughs> that, uh, that, that we have to be told what's mm-hmm. in our tap water. It, again, to the best of, you know, the, the, the best of, of, you know, the people who are operating these systems. By and large, I've talked to people who've worked, and they're scientists. They're people who are just interested in, in giving you the facts. Yep. Here are the results. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's important for people out there to understand that you have these tools available to you. If you're concerned about the quality of water in your home, you, you've got this. You've got this vast amount of information that's available to you for free. It's on. It's online. It comes to you in the mail, and uh, you should. You should take the time to, to at least give it a read. Yeah. Water is life and knowledge is power. So use it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I think, uh, I think we're up to a, a time limit here, Amanda, and I think we've covered a lot of information here. The bottom line is, is that your city, or most cities, I'm not going to say all of them, but I think that there are some loopholes like for really small communities, mm-hmm. um, are required to provide a consumer confidence report to you once a year, June 1st? July July 1st. July 1st. And that this talks about where your water comes from, how it's treated, the tests that are conducted, the results that that, that come from those tests. And uh, I think it's just a a compelling read, even if it's once or twice. (laughs) Um, but, uh, But be aware of it. And especially if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a multi-peer independent builder. Uh, and you've talked to people about water, this is a great tool for you. Absolutely. This is a great tool to just let people know who you're talking to. Hey, here's the data. Here's the facts that, that we know about the contaminants that are in our water. And um, you should just know it. And you know, one thing that we like to tell our, our independent builders, Amanda, is that they're educators. They're not salesmen. They're educators. And you just educate people about what's in the water and then educate people about potential solutions yes. and multiple offers those solutions. Yeah, I 100% agree. Okay, anything <laughs> else to add? Um, I think that's everything. Thank you so much for having me. This was really exciting. Okay, well, we're really glad to have you. Amanda May, Multipure's social media maven, uh, also helping us out on the rain shower side of things. So thank you very much for joining us on this and sharing your perspective. We really appreciate that. My pleasure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Thank you for uh, visiting us. Please visit us on our Facebook page and on our Instagram page. You can find these links uh, in the top right corner of Multipure's homepage. What are the... Give them something more specific here to find us on Instagram. We are uh, Multipure on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you are TikTok uh, friendly, oh, we right. are Multipure official. Right. <laughs> Don't forget TikTok. Okay, so thank you very much for spending some time with us on today's podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. I'm Kenton Jones, Vice President of Marketing with Multipure, and just reminding you, Multipure, it's for life for you. 